All right, Jack, my friend. Sir. What are we going to do this week? Well, you and I have had a number of conversations uh, about the relatively rampant overinvestment in cybersecurity companies. And it's not just our market, right? It's been happening all over the place. And in recent months, the last six months or so, we've seen a lot of uh, unicorns stubbing their toes, losing their party hats, falling down the stairs. And uh, very, very recently at the end of May, the team at Sequoia had an event for their portfolio companies where they said, hey, guys, this could be bad. And Sequoia is a bunch of really, really smart people, and they're also really generous people. And what they did more recently is they released that deck and those recommendations out into the public. And so I was thinking maybe we could talk about that, get our take on it as folks who spent a lot of time talking about the mistakes that it's actually referencing as well. I love it. It's a good deck, actually. I mean, how it's written, it's constructed, it's clear, it's concise, it's, it's well done. I'd actually love to, to chat about it. Just as, as an aside for a second, I've porn myself a nice, tall, low ball of Old Forester. Mm. 1920 Prohibition style, I hope. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But hang on. So I poured myself as, I, I don't want to call it celebratory, but just in like a recognition that, you know, we've provided people with directionally correct content for the last 40 something episodes, right? It's like mm-hmm. since the beginning of us starting season three, which was in, so we started in January. Mm-hmm. So we're now halfway through the calendar year, 40 plus episodes in talked about, you know, the foundation and the importance of good business hygiene. And that in the world of free money and living in the world of studio 54, where like everything's free and it's always super fun. And, you know, if we run out of something that's great, we'll just make more of it and do more of it, you know, and at some point there's going to be a reconciliation that's come. And I, you know, I didn't expect it to come this fast. Mm. Like we've been talking about this forever saying like, there's a reconciliation that's coming that needs to happen. And while I'm not super jazzed about the idea of having a recession, it's now just kind of like proven the point of everything that we've seen over the last 40 episodes has now come true. Right on. And for the audience, number one, thank you for supporting us as we went through all of those messages. It's been frigging awesome getting the messages and, you know, getting the commentary. And I want you to know that as Justin and I are talking about this, this isn't schadenfreude, right? We're not like, hey, yeah, look at them. That's tough for them. Ha ha. No, this is actually, if you go through the messages that we're going to be talking about today that we've talked about in the past, you're going to find that there are things that organizations can do, especially in the early stages, to make these things not happen to them. And, you know, for me, and the reason I think it's a great thing to talk about today, Justin, is that, you know, this is like an exclamation point. We were like, hey, think about building your business more constructively. Make it make it healthier. Use that word profit once in a while, not just growth, right? And I think that these events and then this recent set of guidance that came out of Sequoia, it's like an exclamation point that says, yeah, it wasn't just these two guys on Pwned talking about it, right? It was actually relatively decent advice. And so this isn't us celebrating the fact that bad things are happening to great people and great companies. It's us saying, seriously, listen now, take it seriously now, right? If you didn't before, take it seriously now, because things can be better. Yeah, it's true. There's a lot of companies that I think are going through some pretty challenging times, which I certainly don't don't wish on any of them. And I'm sure they're going to sail through. And, you know, I'm sure at the end of it, they're going to be the wiser after it, mm-hmm. you know, and who knows on the other side of struggle, you know, they're going to come out stronger. So just what it is. Let's talk about this deck here. Cool. So can I draw our attention just to a quick headline? For those of you who are following at home, it actually happens on slide number 14 in the deck, where it talks about the fact that, and I think this is really important, growth at all costs is no longer being rewarded. 
I think a lot of our past commentary, a lot of our past discussion has been the relatively unhealthy way that people have been buying additional revenue because that top line revenue number was such a fundamental part of the way their valuations were generated in the creation of these synthetic unicorns, right? So I think that's a decent place to start, right? That top line revenue may no longer be the sine qua non for how I decide whether a company's doing well or not. Mm -hmm. If someone were to want to look this up, you were able to grab this off the Sequoia website. Yeah, God bless right? them. Yeah, it was referenced in a couple of business articles and it's right there on sequoiacap.com. And I'm sure our good friend Holly will make sure to make an appearance in the show notes. Oh, solid. Just making it easy for people. Right on. <laughs> givers. We're just givers. All the time. All right. So saying um, growth at all costs is what we were talking about here. And you can see why it would get that way, right? If you think about the way that founders operate, and I've been one, right? And you've been one, that you have to be an optimist. And so what is the one thing that you feel is outside your control? And it's kind of addressable market. It's whether people are going to buy your stuff or not. You can believe they're going to, because that's why you're investing your life savings in it. But that is the one big question. And so I can see in an environment that was moving really quickly and people didn't expect, you know, these smaller organizations to have great business fundamentals. They said, all right, rapidly growing revenue, sort of through the roof growth rates. That is a proxy for the fact that people will keep buying this stuff. And I think what it did was it masked the fact that addressable market doesn't equal profitable business, right? Mm -hmm. I can sell $20 bills all day long for 10 bucks, but my cost is still 20 bucks, right? Yeah. But I can sell them for 10 bucks because everybody wants it, but that doesn't make it a business, right? But you can see why, especially in that volatile period that occurred between probably like 2017 and 2021 or now, depending on when you look at it, the investors were pushed into a corner make an investment now, make sure that uh, you get in on the deal and the whip hand belong to the companies, right? They're like, if you want in, got to have in the next 10 days or something. And so you could see how they would use that addressable market as a proxy, figuring, probably wrongly, that they could in time go back through and create the business hygiene practices, the fundamental business expense ratios, et cetera, to make it a profitable business. They figured they could work it out, make it up at scale. But I think what we learned was they never paid attention to it. Maybe they didn't. First, when I think growth at all costs, sadly brings me back to, did you ever see We Crashed? It was on Apple TV. No, you mentioned it. I do have to watch it because it sounds fascinating. I would highly recommend it. It was super entertaining. It's got Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway in it. And they do a super good job, you know, portraying the Newmans. And I'm not sure if it's accurate. Like, I don't know any of that stuff. I'll just say like, it's entertaining. <laughs> right on. But to hear some of the stories about how they grew at all costs and what they were having to pay landlords to get the square footage that they needed to expand. And the premiums that they were paying weren't justified for the rents that they were subsequently receiving. And But it was growth at all costs, right? But the course of growth at all costs, like there's a risk that is presented that you could be ignoring underlying business fundamentals in a way that like you're never going to recoup those costs. So anyway, so I kind of like roll that forward a little bit to kind of sharing like my experience. And you know, when I hear people talk about growth at all costs, it seems the belief has always been growth at all costs. Now you grab market share while it's here in front of you with the belief that you will optimize your business in the future in a way that will subsequently turn it profitable. So knowing that you're just running steep losses, you're running in the red hard just to capture as much ground as you possibly can. It's like the hungry, hungry hippo game. Just kind of like keep grabbing, keep grabbing, keep grabbing. But then at some point, you know, as the business evolves, like, you know, you get to your series advanced and whatever, you know, D and beyond, 
getting ready to go public, then you start to worry about profitability, right? Which there's a lot of ways to do that. But I believe it seems that the belief has always been capture market share while it's here and it's available and worry about everything else later. As so often happens in the course of these conversations, I think I know what I'm going to talk about. Then you say something and it completely throws me into a completely different loop that I hope is helpful for people. I like to think I like tossing a hand grenade once in a while that just kind of just kind of Fs everything up. You do. You you create complete discord inside my thought process. <laughs> so as you were talking, right, and you were talking about the WeWork experience and the fact that they were forced to pay over market for real estate in order to accomplish their goals, because frankly, they wanted to make sure they get bigger faster, right? So they wanted to make sure that somebody else didn't dominate that shared workspace marketplace, right? That that was sort of the business plan. I haven't seen the show, but I, I'm really familiar with the company. And, and I thought, you know, I've been in a number of their spaces. They're high quality spaces and smart people work there. So it was nice to be around them. So it's a good idea. Uh, anyway, so as you're talking about, I'm like, hold on a second. It ain't just real estate, kid, right? I was just thinking about, there's about to be a huge knock-on effect, assuming that people take the good advice that Sequoia is providing and adapting to endure about top-line growth not being all that matters. Because let's think what happens in a very practical way for software companies and technology companies. So many of these are tech companies, right? They're just seeing this massive downturn. So what happened? They were growing, growing rapidly. In order to continue to grab tons and tons of market share, we tend to think of it as like marketing and sales activity, but they also had to hire the hell out of people, right? To have more people to build a new thing, to develop the next generation, to add the new functionality. And guess what? Those people are real estate, right? The market for heads went through the roof as well. We know this, right? We know that the wages in high tech went crazy. Fang drove the marketplace for smart engineers completely into the stratosphere, right? Because it was a reasonable expense when the outcome that was expected was the development of the new thing to continue to capture more market share, again, top line growth. So now, assuming that people sober up and they're looking at the top line no longer being the only criteria, who's gonna be able to justify continuing to pay a new hire college grad 250,000 bucks to come in just to make sure you get them? Who's gonna be able to maintain that really, really high level of compensation for individual engineers? Because number one, they're not chasing that top line revenue anymore, right? So they don't need as much new stuff. And number two, as a cost center, I think this is why we're seeing this rescinding of job offers. People are just like, yeah, we're just not going to bring you on anymore. Sorry about that. Only kidding. Sorry about that move, right? You're no longer working for us, right? Because they're going to start crushing it back down. And I think that those participants in our community who have been taking advantage of that lavish pay scale are going to be struck by a hard reality when you realize that they're a cost center associated with a product that they're trying to retrieve cost on. And if the existing thing is kind of all right and good enough and people aren't driving towards that top line revenue number, I think it's going to change a real profile in payroll for the companies that are supporting these high tech growth for exactly the reason you just described about the fact that the embedded fixed costs, real estate humans of these top line growth plays I don't need that much top line growth. I don't need that many fixed assets. I don't need as much real estate. Notably, I don't need as many bodies. I think that was a great point to just stuck it in my head. Well, I'm not done yet, Jack. (laughs) (laughs) The one comment in here that, uh, that actually got me to pause when I was thumbing through this was, um, the two sentences that capital was free. Now it's expensive in that as capital has gotten more expensive, some of these companies have become the worst performing companies. And I think when you put it on like the financial scale and you figure out like there's a cost to deploy these dollars Mm -hmm. and then you subsequently dump them into a non-profitable company that may or may not be gaining top line growth. I think it 
turns the economics of some of this stuff upside down. Because of you, like I've learned more about like the equity markets and how venture capital and, and all that stuff works is what I've learned is like some cases like, yeah, I mean, if they're making, you know, 15 to 20% on investment, like that's pretty good. And by the way, if, if I got that in any portfolio, I'd be like super jazzed. But when you start saying like, now your interest rate is five, 6% or whatever the number is, like it's starting to cut into that amount. Right. And so now all of a sudden, like those, you know, rates of return aren't as delicious and yummy as they once were. I mean, there's a saying like, what's the saying? Like uh, pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. Right on. <laughs> right. So, I mean, so don't get me wrong. Like I'd be more than happy with like 10 all day, but I'm just saying like, it kind of F's up the economics of why someone might have chosen to invest in it. Really interesting. And for the listeners, if you're following along on slide 16, there's a, like an orthogonal discussion of the exact point that Justin's just making, where it talks about the fact that cheap capital isn't coming to the rescue. And for me, the most important element of it is that there's a balance, right? That's out of balance right now, where PE funds who typically weren't investing this way found themselves in this hybrid position where they're not just betting, you know, against quote unquote companies, right? But they were actually investing in companies. And some of those funds now, because of the decrease in the valuation of investments that they've made, they find themselves out of balance. And so they can't continue to invest in the way in which they have with these nine-figure sums to support the companies they had invested in on sort of the craps side, right? Throwing the dice, hoping for the 7-Eleven side of the portfolio. You know, they have to have balance with the other side where you're expecting it not to come out 7-Eleven or to come out 7-Eleven where it shouldn't. So really, really interesting because to your point, the cash isn't free anymore. It's And it's not just the interest rates. It's actually the big, massive bags of money that are held by these PE firms have to be held in balance. And what's happening is because of the decrease in value of some of these assets, that balance is being thrown off a little bit. So I think it's, there's an interesting sort of meta, you know, equities phenomena you know, that's described, I think, pretty well in the deck from Sequoia. I thought it was interesting. There's a, a really short section in it that I'd love to get your reaction to, which is sort of like the, how the hell did we get here section? Now, you'd think it'd be a long story because you know, so many billions have been lost and so many companies are affected and so many lives are affected by it, but it's a slide. But the slide says, basically, it does this direct line and they're not overstating it. I don't want to pretend they're like, this is the map. I'm just saying, I thought it was interesting. They said, you know, the pandemic happened, right? Uh, in case people don't know, the pandemic sucks, right? And so the pandemic happens and there's a lot of problems. All kinds of industries are affected, transportation, lodging food and beverage, all these really, really important industries, they're affected. So we stimulate the hell out of the environment. Okay, great. But maybe, maybe just a little too much, right? So we roll on through that. There's a lot of money coming out. Money is really, really free. And then there's this war. Number one, war is never good, but worse, especially not good when it really affects things as critical to infrastructure and economics as energy, right? So now we start seeing the war happens and now there's inflation and there's different treatment of different marketplaces. Yikes. And that creates, guess what? Supply chain issues. And, I, and really, I'm just going through the slides. You'll take a look at it. But to me, it was like super brilliant, right? You're looking at it like, yep. And then that creates supply chain issues. And those supply chain issues are only going to get worse as we continue to affect the availability of fuel, what have you, for transporting things around. And so tried and tried and tried, kept pouring more money into the system. And eventually the system said, oh, that money, I'm kind of full, right? And so then inflation starts going up because I got all this money, I don't know where to put it. I think I'll charge more for stuff, right? And I was just looking, you know, gas prices 48% higher than they were a year ago. Youch. Groceries are between 15 and 25, depending where in the US you are. That's a lot more money, right? So now hardworking people making less money can buy less stuff. 
interest rates are higher. Justin mentioned in passing, you know, interest rates. We did a little thing this morning. We're just goofing around. I took a look at it. 2002 was like this breakthrough year. 2002 was the first time interest rates had ever been below 6.6%. And since 2002, they've never been above 6.6% until today. Hey! So we're going to see real changes, right? Because that interest rate drives a lot of things. And people don't understand, and when I say interest rate, that's just, it's a proxy for real interest. It's a home mortgage 30 year, but you know, it, it actually changes things. The availability of money for homes is a rough proxy for the availability of money for business. I want to grow, right? And when money's not free anymore, how do I get money to build out my new factory or to hire my new team or to build my new product? I take it on my profit. Oh, shit. I forgot I didn't need profit. It was top line growth. So super interesting. I'd recommend you, get, you know, folks take a look at it because I think it tells the story in a really, really clear way and a really, really quick way. Yeah. So on that, they kind of advanced a little bit further, right? And says, what's next? Like, what's the plan? And so the quote here is medium to long-term durable growth and with improving profitability is always the path. Yeah, it was all, always the path until they were investing in companies at ridiculous valuations who were never going to be profitable. But yeah, it's always the path now. A lot of what we do here is we try to help people make things better, right? That's the cybersecurity person's mantra because you're never going to make it right, right? You're trying to make it better. So there's also some stuff in here that I think will help people make things better. So as opposed to continuing to point at, holy shit, we should have seen this coming. There's a quote that they use that I like very much uh, in terms of the way that they're they're talking about it. And, and I'm just going to paraphrase it roughly. But basically, what has to happen now is you have to figure out how to be adaptable, right? They're talking to the portfolio companies, but I think it applies to everybody. You've got to take a step back and figure out how you're going to adapt to a long-term siege by an economy that's not here to help you anymore, right? You know, think about the knock-on effects, right? We already talked a little bit about what may well happen to payroll. Yikes. Let's think about what also happens to investment in durable goods. Yikes, right? Interest rates for mortgages go from like two and three quarters to six and two thirds. Youch, right? Just think what's going to happen to your car loan, right? So the typical large ticket durable goods are going to go up. So this is going to have a long-term effect because, you know, we talk a lot about technology and about security, but, you know, some of the biggest places we need that are retail and manufacturing and energy, right? They need a lot of this stuff. And so if you're the support for the folks who are supporting the construction of durable goods, you got to take a step back and think, all right, is it reasonable to assume X and Y and Z? You know, with interest rates at 7%, ransomware is not necessarily the biggest problem people are worried about in the financial community. Uh -huh. Let me ask you a question, kind of flip it around a little bit here. I was saying, okay, like, let's try to find some silver linings to all this, right? Like, what's the positive takeaway? And, you know, if a company were to come to you, which I know a lot of them do, says, hey, like we're in the hole, you know, we're just trying to figure out which way is up. What advice would you have for companies that saying, hey, you know, we've been marching in this specific direction or, you know, trying to pursue this, you know, specific goal because we were given this direction, but now that's changed. And, you know, in order to change, like our company is, might have to dramatically change. Like what recommendations, like, would you have for folks to kind of start that journey? You know, it's interesting. It's funny, as you're talking through, I had like three different things. And then I, I landed on the one I think that, that would probably be the one that I would do, which is that I want to talk to my sellers, right? Because mm. what's going to happen, we're going to be in a period of panic. And sellers' natural instinct will be to try to get that deal to close, try to push it through to a customer who may be under real financial pressure. I think what I would probably do as the CEO would be to talk to my sellers and encourage them to talk to their clients about the real financial situation that they find themselves in. 
especially in cybersecurity, right? Position yourself as someone who understands that the world has changed. We're not going to pretend that things haven't changed. So I understand things have changed. Tell me, what is your top priority? How do we continue to support you? Because I think the companies that will lose will be the ones who pretend that cybersecurity is always the most important thing when really good people are losing their jobs at whatever firm you're selling to. So I think I would go back to them and find that out. And then I would take that feedback back into the shop and say, listen, N percent of this is just what we do every day, right? So we don't need all that new stuff. We need 40% of our new stuff. Excellent. And that'll make some hard decisions for the company itself, but you'll be able to do a better job of husbanding your cash if you realize what you really have to do to continue to meet the needs of 80% of the clients who find themselves in the same problem. Let's say you're selling to Coinbase today, right? And they've just had a wave of layoffs. You know, expecting them to let go of really good people that they were really relying on for what they thought was the next wave of business and to continue to treat you the same way is probably unrealistic, right? So probably step up and understand what the real requirements are because the market requirements from a flush organization is really, really different than the requirements you're going to get when they start getting tagged. You know, we saw some of this, Justin, um, in higher ed, right? In higher ed following COVID or in the midst of COVID, right? Because the plague hit. And then there was a real question about how many people will go on campus? You know, how will we do recruitment? How will we get students back in the buildings and engaged when there's so many great online education institutions, right? And so higher ed began to make more deliberate decisions about what they were going to invest in based on an uncertain future, right? For the specific kind of business they had historically been in. And so I think now's a decent time to be thinking about that same thing for these companies who may find themselves in the precipice saying, all right, I know I have to do something different. What should I do? As opposed to, you know, just making a decision saying, all right, I'm going to let some people go or I'm going to decrease sales or whatever I'm going to do. Be thoughtful about it. You know, use the resources you have to better understand the market you're about to serve because it's a very different one than you were serving six months ago. Mm -hmm. I like it. With all this, I I would imagine for a lot of companies, the hardest thing that they're going to have to come to grasp with is the fact that their organization after this might look very different than what it is today. Mm-hmm. And that's um that's a hard thing, but I'd say for organizations that find themselves in that position, you know, the organization that you're about to metamorphosis into could be a lot better than the one you're in today, right? I mean, so that's that's kind of like the silver lining of it. And I think the sooner you come to, you know, get your head around that this change is happening and you kind of embrace it and make the best of it, I think the easier it will be to kind of move on and start fixing, you know, and evolving, if you will, with the times. I want to give a shout out to my partner in crime, Justin Finley, because I know he never reads all of the stuff I send him, but there is a section at the end of the Sequoia deck called how to emerge stronger. And the words are different enough that I know you're not describing what they're describing, but it's exactly on the money, right? And it talks about uh, maybe about halfway through that section. And I've been there, right? So I want you to know from personal history, this is true. It is the hardest decision to make that the path we're on is not going to be successful as a founder, especially in a smaller company. It is brutal. You have the customers that you have that are telling you everything is awesome. I love you. And you've got the sellers who have deals that are on the line and you've got the technologists who are all working their asses off for the next thing the customers told you they need. And then something happens and you've got to say, oh, hold on a second. I got to retrench. And it is really hard if you're optimistic enough as you've been, as I've been, to start a company on the hopes that it's going to work out okay and it's working out okay to say, doesn't look so much, right? And taking a step back. And there's a whole section inside the Sequoia presentation on it. And I think 
That's exactly right. The organization is going to look different, right? The organization is going to look a lot different. You're going to retrench. You're going to figure out what to do, but it'll be a different company and there'll be some, God, you've done it. I've done it. There's some really hard decisions to make, but the eventual company will be better. And, you know, if I can give any advice to, we're fortunate to have entrepreneurs who listen to us um, and who ask us questions, realize that what you're doing is you're protecting all of those employees who are going to be critical to your success going forward. Not just the companies, like don't think about the company for a second. Think about all the people who will be helped by making sure that the people who are there are the ones you need to make the company successful Mm -hmm. as opposed to, and you're going to just feeling horrible about anybody who leaves because you're going to feel horrible about that too. Right. But if they didn't go, everybody's going to be gone. You've got to come to that super hard. And that's not mentioned in the deck, but it is, I know my personal experience, you look at it and you're like, I have a choice. Everybody, you know, will be okay for six months and maybe things will turn around. This ain't turning around in six months, guys, period. And so if you're looking at it saying, hey, I hope it turns around. Maybe that big deal will close. Yeah, forget about it. Assume it's not going to happen. Make the right decision now. And, you know, if the deal does close and the world turns around and interest rates drop back under 3% and everything's great, hire those people back if they're available, right? But right now, protect your customers who are trusting you, especially in cybersecurity with really vital stuff. Protect the employees who you need to keep going forward and protect your vision and your mission and your purpose. And that's the only way you're going to get through this thing. And you'll be stronger to Justin's point by the time you get out the other end. Yeah. So I think we wrap on that. I think this is a good message. Cool. All right. Anything else, Jack? Nope. McDubs? No, she says no. <laughs> All right. Well, if you need cybersecurity help, uh, you want two moderately intelligent people and one highly intelligent female Correct. to chat with, you know how to find us. <laughs> um, you can find us at pwned at newharborsecurity.com and we'll get you on the next one. <laughs>